Fortress of Baileytude Productions, in association with MediaGauntlet.com, presents Views from the Long Box for December 5th, 2007, episode 21. Back after two weeks with the theme song I always wanted to use. You and your crummy comic books, that's all you ever think about. Comic book. Oh, Jeffy, you know comics. You're the Oracle of Delphi of comics, yes. The real question is this. Are comic books good? Or are they not good? Tell me how comic books make you feel, Dave. Well, they don't make me feel too good. A couple of times you read a comic book, I chew up. This comic book describes a sexual aberration so shocking that I couldn't mention even the scientific terms on television. What have you done? Nothing. Nothing except read comic books. You also lose our jobs on account of comic books. You keep me awake every night with your bad dreams on account of comic books. fun in that not-at-all kind of way. Uh, I'm not talking about the theme song. I'm talking about the last two weeks. I mean, in all honesty, I did not intend to take two weeks off of doing this show, but it just seemed to have worked out that way. Between being sick last week and Thanksgiving the week before, there was very little I wanted to do. (sighs) Still, I, I feel bad. I try to be consistent with my release schedule. When I say a show's coming out on this particular date, I want to hit that date. I may not get paid for this, but I do take it somewhat seriously. Because that's how I roll. Anyway, hey everybody. Welcome back to Views from the Long Box. I am your host, Michael Bailey, here once again to take up a little bit of your time to jaw about something related to the world of comic books. I am sorry about not having an episode for the last two weeks, but once again, real life intruded. Work has been... Well, work has been the suck, as they say. I mean, I I have to admit, I have not been this stressed out. I mean, just, you know, God Almighty, I want to beat someone to death with their own arms, stressed out in quite some time. And between feeling like that... And the holiday, eh, I didn't do much of anything the week of Thanksgiving. Eh, you know, so between that and being, you know, being lazy on Thanksgiving, and, and like I said, I was sick for most of last week. Uh, I took a break, even if it did mean not following through on doing a Thanksgiving-themed episode, like I said I was going to. Eh, I guess it's not the end of the world, really. When you think about it, there aren't too many, you know, memorable stories in comic books centered around Thanksgiving. I mean, you had that JSA, you know, issue a couple years back with that cover that had Superman and Power Girl serving the turkey and everything. But other than that, you know, to me, 
Thanksgiving is really just the lead-in to Christmas in the form of a really, really good meal, especially when my wife's cooking it, because my wife is a good cook. I mean, I'm sure there are, you know, some good comic book Thanksgiving-related stories, but like television and film, these are few and far between. I mean, the one special I can think of that they show every year at Thanksgiving is a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, and I freaking hate that show. Absolutely hate it. Despise it with the fire of a thousand suns. Holy crap, that cartoon pisses me off. I watched it for the first time in a long time, really, several years ago, and I ended up screaming at the television, which I think annoyed my wife. Or it amused her. I, I really, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes with that woman because just uh, how I am. But uh, anyway, if you've never seen it, here's the plot. Charlie Brown is preparing to leave for a Thanksgiving meal with his family. I think it was like his grandmother or something. I, I forget. It's not really important. Anyways, Peppermint Patty calls up. And not only does she manipulate him into inviting her over to a dinner that is not you know, being prepared, but she goes ahead and calls up several other people and invites them as well. And because he's a kid and not a master chef, Charlie Brown makes what is handy. Popcorn, toast, whatever. So he serves this to his supposed friends, and instead of being, you know, thankful, Peppermint Patty balls him out for not serving what she wanted or she expected. And Charlie Brown just sits there and takes it. Just just freaking takes it until someone else points out what an ungrateful bitch she's being. So to save myself the aggravation, I just skip it. I know a lot of people have this love and affection for Charlie Brown and Peanuts. And while I enjoyed reading it when I was a kid, and there are still a few specials that I like, and a couple of the movies that I find amusing, Charlie Brown just infuriates me as an adult. I mean, he just lets everyone walk all over him, and I just can't get behind that at all. I actually had this idea at one point for an episode of Law & Order Criminal Intent. God, I love that show. Anyways, uh, an episode of Law & Order Criminal Intent where Charlie Brown, at like college student age, uh, kills Lucy because he finally snaps over the whole, you know, taking the football out thing. And I had the whole thing mapped out, too. The beginning would be the montage scenes that Law and Order Criminal Intent usually has that sets up that Charlie Brown and Lucy go to the same New York City University and run in the same circles. And I even thought it would be kind of cool for Charlie Brown to be a jock, but still can't stand up to Lucy, so after she does the whole football thing one more time, he kills her and dumps her in Central Park. And the investigation takes Gorin and Eames through the whole Peanuts cast. Linus comes to identify his sister, and it's revealed that he married Sally after high school because he knocked her up. Schroeder attends Juilliard and admits to Gorham and Eames that he could never stand Lucy in the first place. Pigpen's in sanitation. Peppermint Patty's doing, like, graduate work somewhere else in the city. And finally, Vincent D'Onofrio breaks Charlie Brown down in the interrogation room by bringing out the football and running him through all the times. Lucy pulled it away until he finally just confesses. And then Gorin and Eames make some quasi-philosophical comment, probably mentioning nuts in there, 
but that could be going too far. Wow, it's so vivid in my head. Like it's happening on the television in front of me right now. Uh... Out of Context Theater. And it is once again time for Out of Context Theater, that segment of the show where I take some innocent-sounding audio sample from an old radio show, television series, movie serial, whatever, and show what an utterly depraved and sick human being I am. This week's Out of Context Theater comes from the Adventures of Superman Live Action series, which, if you don't know, ran from 1952 to 1957 and cranked out 104 episodes in that time. I'd really love to tell you what episode this quote comes from, but didn't have the time in the past couple weeks to go through my DVD set to find out. I sampled this last year when I was going through those sets and never bothered to write down which episode it actually came from. It's definitely from the second season, though, because it was in black and white, and Noel Neal was Lois Lane, and I'm sure someone out there will know exactly which episode it was, and will no doubt email me to inform me of exactly what episode it came from. So, anyway, here's a sample. Jimmy. You better get on the floor, Miss Lane. Wow. You better stop, Jimmy. You better get on the floor, Miss Lane. God. I guess somebody needs to teach Jimmy that no means no. Something always kind of irked me about Jimmy Olsen on that show anyways. I mean, he was a little too nice. But, you know, what What did we really know about his past? At least in terms of the show's continuity and the seemingly endless uncles and aunts and people that he would go and visit and get scared around. I mean, I mean, for all we know, Jimmy was the type of kid who tortured animals in the backyard or something. God knows what he did with that camera. I mean, it was the 50s, so there were no computers and hence no internet. I kind of wonder what Inspector Henderson would have found if he had searched young Master Olsen's apartment. What kind of pictures would he have found? There's a fan fiction in there. I know it. Uh, in all honesty, Jimmy and Lois were riding down the road and being chased when the quote happened. But it is out-of-context theater, so without taking out-of-context, there would be no humor. Or at least what I loosely refer to as humor. And I'm sure other people have already turned off the podcast and regretted downloading it. Uh, anyways... One of the reasons my work life has been the suck lately is due to the fact that we are now in the holiday shopping season, or at least here in the States. If you're listening to this abroad, tell me. I'm kind of interested in that. Anyways, the day after Thanksgiving here in the United States is commonly known as Black Friday, which makes it sound like a dark and depressing day, and it is if you work retail. It is usually the biggest shopping day of the year, which means that most stores go from the red to the black, hence Black Friday. In all honesty, I could care less. I am not much of a shopper for the sake of shopping. I have these horrendous flashbacks of being a little kid and shopping with my mom and sisters and being bored out of my freaking mind. If we were on the tile in a department store, everything was cool. It's when we hit carpet that I got antsy, because it would seem like 
hours and hours of mom and my sisters or aunts or friends of my mom, whatever, just looking at clothes. I'd hide in the racks. I mean, there was really not much else for me to do. But, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't hate shopping as a concept. I'm just very selective about the shopping I choose to do. I'll go to Best Buy. I'll go to Walmart. I'll look through Target and Barnes and Nobles, but those are very specialized places. And even if I go just to look, it's different. And yes, I know it has everything to do with the fact that I like movies and books and music and the like. And I'm hip to the fact that my mom liked to shop for clothes and sneakers, and I like to shop for other stuff. I mean, I could just spend hours in a comic book shop. Well, not if it sucks, as my trip to... Nag said North Carolina approved last summer. But if there's a decent back issue selection and trades and action figures, I could probably spend all day there. Especially if it has a 50-cent box. I am a big believer in the 50-cent box, or the quarter bin, or the dollar box, or whatever iteration of getting comics for cheap that the comic shop that you go to has. But my particular corner of the comic book sky usually has 50-cent boxes. So that's what I'll call it. I love the 50 cent box. Love it to death. And the reason I love it so much is because I am cheap. Not extremely cheap. Not put water in the shampoo bottle to make it last a little longer cheap. Not ramen is good enough for me cheap. Not it's the value menu or no Wendy's for me cheap. There are things I will spend money on. I like a good meal. I like spoiling my wife. Admittedly, there was a time in my life where I would spend the least amount of money possible on necessities so I could buy more comics and movies and stuff, but that's mostly in the past now. And I make more money these days. So there's that too. In any case, in addition to being a reader of comics, I am also a collector, or at least a collector in the sense that I like to amass comic books. It's the thrill of the hunt, mostly. I've long been of the opinion that the reason people like me get into comics or baseball cards or books or movies or whatever is that there is a McDonald's within driving distance. We don't have to go out 8 to 10 hours a day hunting for the tribe anymore. Despite this fact, there is still that instinct, that inborn need to gather and since I can go to Kroger or Publix or Walmart whenever I get hungry, that instinct needs to be channel. And I, or something else, chose comics as the object of my desire. It's different for everybody, really. I mean, some people actually hunt to scratch that itch. But I'm not one for waking up at 3 on some cold January morning to go sit in a deer stand waiting for Bambi's mom to come by so I can make an orphan out of that annoying little deer. I don't look down on people who do so. To each their own. I just like sleeping in, and while I love the cold, it's more of a, hey, let's go outside for a bit before going back inside to watch movies and drink hot chocolate. But if you want to go to hunt, go right ahead. It's all good. I fully support your right to do so. Anyway, back to being a collector. I love to buy comics, but I really don't want to invest too much money in them. It's the Catch-22. I want the books, I just don't want to put forth the bank for the hobby. And this is where the 50-cent box comes in. Here are oodles and 
oodles of comic books that you can get two for a dollar one of the local shops here has this deal where you can buy two for a dollar 25 for ten dollars and a hundred books for 35 and i think if he hasn't changed it you can fill a long box for like a hundred so the more you buy the better the deal not only can you get a bunch of comics for cheap, but there isn't a whole lot of risk involved. It's not paying full price, or what price guides and dealers call full price, and then ending up with a lousy read. As Blake and Chase from the always entertaining 2-in-1 Showcase. If you do not listen to this show, I truly recommend it. It's a great little podcast where these two guys sit there and talk about a certain subject you know, Batman, Ghost Rider, whatever, and really amusing. Uh, I've recommended it before. I'm recommending it again here. You can find them at comicstream.com. End plug now. Anyways, as Blake and Chase pointed out in their recent Tales from the Quarter Bin episode, even if the book is awful, it's fine because it was a quarter or 50 cents or three for a dollar. And the only thing you lose is five to ten minutes of your life. The 50 cent box for me anyways as a fairly recent of you know phenomenon i do not have much historical context with the quarter box a lot of comic shops i've called home never really had them beachhead comics in allentown had a 30 cent box but i was young and finicky about my comics i wanted them to be as close to new as possible and the books in that 30 cent box weren't in the best of shape this is before I started overlooking certain physical imperfections for the sake of a good read. I did start my run of All-Star Squadron out of that box, though, but I was older, wiser, you know, 18, but you get the point. I really started noticing them at shows that I would occasionally go to, though, but those were mostly dollar boxes. Still, right from the start, Cheap Comics and me got along. I mean, I wouldn't have gotten about half the Batman books I own if not for Book Nook over in Riverdale having that fill-a long box for 40 bucks sale. Looking over the current crop of 50-cent books is kind of interesting. You know, for for every one tattered old issue of Thor from the 70s, you have boxes and boxes of Image Comics and Satellite X books and Impact books and a whole lot of Superman and Batman, and these all come from the mid-90s. And it's depressing in a way. You know, at one point, these books were the hot books and supposedly worth a lot of money, and now you can buy 15 copies for them for less than $5. It's, you know, it's not quite like looking at a cute dog or cat in a shelter because the comic isn't going to be euthanized at the end of the month. But at the same time, these books used to have a home. And even if that home was some dude's basement because he thought those issues of Youngblood number 1 were going to pay through his way through college, you know, they had, they had a place. Somebody bought them for a purpose, and now they're just kind of left over. Simultaneously, it is kind of interesting to see those books in a 50-cent box context. I mean, like I said, some of these books were priced outrageously high, and here they are, less than a dollar, less than a cover price even. Okay, here's an example. The local comic shop with the badass 50-cent boxes had a Black Friday sale. See, there was a reason I mentioned Black Friday. It was kind of set this up, kind of kind of a lousy way to do it but anyways that's why i did it anyways so this shop had a black friday sale five for a dollar 
all about some awesome 20 cent comics. I mean, who could pass that up? So after work on Friday, I got out a little earlier than I thought I was going to, I went over and decided to see what I could see. I spent about an hour there and bought about 30 to $40 worth of books. One of the books I bought was Wildcats number 2, cover date September 1992. Actually, I bought Wildcats 1 through 4 and issue 0. But Wildcats number 2 is particularly significant to, you know, my argument. If charges of bad taste and extravagance were ever to be leveled against comic books in the 90s, then this book would be Exhibit B. It was a bright, silvery mess. It was one of those hot books that was usually on the wall with a price tag on it that made you doubt the existence of a benevolent god. The original cover price was $2.50. I found about 20 of these things. Used to be you could only find that one that the comic shop had. And here in just about every box I found a copy. It's just kind of odd. I also found multiple, and I mean multiple, copies of the first five issues of Youngblood plus the Zero issue plus the first couple issues of Youngblood Strike File plus the first couple issues of Team Youngblood and the Youngblood yearbook which I think I saw about 40 or 50 times. And there were boxes and boxes of X-Men and Generation X and Excalibur and if I tried hard enough I could have put together a couple of sets of the Reign of the Superman series. Now, there were current books mixed in there, and there was books from the 80s, and even some from the 70s, and an entire long box of yellowed 70s and 80s Marvel and DC books, which is awesome. But most of the books were from the 90s. And it's just weird. Weird, but cool at the same time, too. One man's trash is another man's treasure, and since I have this unhealthy attraction to comics from the 90s, it kind of works out great when you think about it. And I did pick up some of what I would consider good stuff over the weekend. Uh, the first 28 issues of Generation X, because I'm working on my X-Men run, uh, and satellite books, of course. I found the first 26 issues or so of the Spider-Man series that started in 1990 with Todd McFarlane on it, and... After reading through those, yeah, I kind of see why they were in that box. Uh, I even found some issues of Aztec, uh, that Grant Morrison written series from 1996, which are really surprisingly hard to find. I guess that was one of those severely under-ordered books. But again, that's the great thing about the 50-cent box, because it knows no boundaries. Supply and demand don't really make much sense. If a comic shop owner needs to get rid of it, he's going to throw it in that 50 cent box and try to get rid of it. I completed my run of Airboy, which Shag and I discussed in our last foray, which was kind of cool. I completed my run of the late 80s Spectre series, uh, which I was missing two issues of, and I just I just bought stuff that I thought was kind of interesting, like a bunch of issues of uh, Amazing Spider-Man circa 1992, because it just, it just, you know, the covers looked cool. And they were cheap, so I will be reading those soon as well. And that's another thing I'm actually kind of trying, which is different than my usual or my more recent modus comic book operandi. Uh, I would usually 
wait until I had the whole run of something to read it. But now I'm trying to kind of remind myself why I read comics in the first place. So I'm doing some things that I used to do, which was I would buy back issues and read them almost immediately instead of doing what I've been doing lately, which is waiting until I have an entire run of something. So that's been fun. And, and you know, buying a lot of cheap comics always puts me in a good mood. So considering the stress of the holidays and everything and work and being sick, uh, you know, it, it felt pretty good to be able to get a bunch of really, really cheap comics and just sit down and read them. Uh, alrighty, let's get into some, you hear paper shuffling because I'm not as prepared as I need to be. Ah, viewer mail. Uh, I've actually gotten a couple of emails in the past uh, couple of days. One of those I'm going to read next week, but this week I decided uh, to read one that actually came from my sometimes cohort Shag Matthews who has apparently taken issue with a couple of my comments on a past episode of Views, uh, the 1990s theme song episode. Um, so I'll just read his email and respond as I see fit. Okay. Views from the Longbox Feedback. Shag Matthews to me. Mike, you ignorant slut. I have been listening to a few of your older episodes, specifically the 1990s TV theme song episodes. Being a bit of a TV show theme aficionado myself, I'm here to set you straight. Once again, you've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am right and you are wrong. First of all, the Lois and Clark theme song is fantastic. Lots of brass instruments, as all good Superman themes should have. Very upbeat and heroic. You clearly need to clean out those ears. If you are looking for garbage Superman themes, then go no further than your beloved live-action Superboy TV show. Don't miss those Joe Satriani wannabe guitar riffs. Next, the X-Men theme you played was taken out of context. That is solely the instrumental version released on the Dollar Bin TV show CDs. You need the version that aired on the show that included the sound effects from the visuals. For example, the sound of a Blackbird spy plane flying by, Wolverine going snicked, Cyclops optic blasts, and such. I've attached that for your listening education. Uh, additionally, any superhero theme that you find yourself humming the next day rates as pretty darn good in my book. Finally, the Fantastic Four theme from Season 1 was wonderful. Campy, but everything a superhero theme song should be. They masterfully combined the storytelling aspects of so many themes, thus explaining the characters, the jingle-style theme by creating a fun song, and ideal use of the word ungrammatical. Don't just take my word for it on the Fantastic Four theme. Someone I know had something to say about your opinion play the second attached file thanks for some great podcasts even if there were sullied by your sadly misguided opinion of 90s tv show themes your friend always shag p.s you're dead on about the ultra force and spider-man unlimited themes those have to be two of the worst cartoon themes ever ppss i triple dog dare you to read this on the air well if a christmas story has taught us anything it's that you can never turn down a triple dog dare so i read it shag and let me take your 
objections point by point. Uh, one, you call me an ignorant slut, which I have to kind of tip my hat to. There's like a good uh, Saturday Night Live reference uh, as much as anybody. Okay, first off, the Lois and Clark theme. Um, okay, it's not awful. It is better than the Superboy themes. Uh, the first one especially was like a Jan Hammer version of a Superboy theme. The second, third, and fourth season did try to go more for a classical feel to it, but since it was all synthesized, it sounded like crap. But the thing about the Lois and Clark theme that I don't like is that I do not feel inspired by it. And I am going to trump you on this one as the diehard Superman fan, just as I would defer to you regarding what I assume are about a billion different Doctor Who themes. So, uh, yeah, it's got a lot of brass, and it is very upbeat. I just don't like it. It just does nothing for me. I, I just don't feel anything from it. And, you know, as the diehard Superman fan, I should. So the fact that I don't should be kind of telling there. Next is your beloved X-Men theme. Now, you did send the quote-unquote original version with that, so I guess... Okay, I'll play that right now, and we can see if it's better than the last one that I played on this show. Okay, I'll give you that one. That was a little more exciting, at least. I, you know, the sound effects at least kind of match up from what I remember of watching that show. So, okay, Shag, I'll concede the second point to you. So next up is the Fantastic Four theme. Nope, nope, not going to agree with you at all. Don't care what kid you found in your neighborhood and paid five bucks to record something with. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is nothing about that Fantastic Four theme song that uh, I will ever say anything positive about, except that I positively think that it sucks. So, yeah. But anyways, uh, that's it for viewer mail this week. Uh, like I said, I did get another one. Uh, I will be reading that next week. like to stretch these things out. Uh, next week, just to give a quick announcement, I will also be announcing the winner to my first ever Views from the Long Box contest. Uh, I did get some feedback, but here's the thing. The contest may be over, and I will be doing another one, probably set up a little differently in a month or so. But that doesn't mean that I don't want your feedback. I really would like to know what you think of the show, and I would really like to get kind of an, a dialogue going uh, between you know me, the host, and you, the listeners, and me reading your mail on the air, so to speak, 
and getting your feedback and even people responding to what other people have to say. So despite the contest being over, still write in at views from the long box, one word, views from the long box at gmail.com. And uh, again, if you just want to make a few comments and you don't want me to read them on the air, just indicate that in your email, because if you don't say it, I'm going to assume that it's okay to read. And I guess that does it for another episode of Views from the Longbox. I am back on track and back on schedule, so you should expect the next episode on December 12th, 2007. At some point in the near future, I'm going to have another visit with Shag, hopefully. Also, look for on the 24th of December an early, uh, at least early in context of the week, episode of Views from the Long Box. I have a kind of Christmas special planned, so I'm kind of excited about that. You can also check out my weekly column at comicstream.com uh, called Amazingly Views from the Long Box. I am in the middle of my top five all-time favorite superheroes ever series. Uh, you can also go to viewsfromthelongbox.blogspot.com and find random musings by me in addition to the RSS feed and the iTunes subscription info. On Monday, I should have one or two reviews up at the Superman homepage, and I am still taking part in the bi-weekly Unique Geek podcast, a new episode just came up on theuniquegeek.com for download and that about covers me on the internet unless you want to go over to Podcast Alley and write a review or something. Views from the Long Box is presented by Fortress of Bailitude Productions in association with MediaGauntlet.com Thanks everybody. See you next week. Hey, Mike, you said not even a kid could like the Fantastic Four theme. Well, think again. Fantastic Four, doo 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 doo. Fantastic Four. I don't know the rest. But it's awesome!